This week's soundtracking is a celebration of all things 007, following an event recorded at the London Film Museum with David Arnold and Don Black. Now, the pair have bond in their blood. Don has provided lyrics for some of the most memorable title tunes, whilst David has scored five of the movies, including The World Is Not Enough, Tomorrow Never Dies and Casino Royale. You'll hear plenty examples of their work alongside that of the great John Barry, whose work is so inextricably linked to the success of the franchise. I should say that due to circumstances beyond our control, the sound is pretty poor in places, so huge apologies for that. But the music, of course, is of the very highest standard. for being here uh, tonight. Bond's just always been there. You hear a bar from one of those iconic pieces of music and you're instantly transported back to a car chase, a love scene, a silly line, a wonderful moment throughout its history. And it's my absolute pleasure to welcome tonight two people who have been such a huge part of Bond over the years and in particular the music. And when you think of Bond, I think one of the things that you first think about is the music because it is such an important part of the success and the brilliant creativity behind the films, both in terms of its score and those original songs that we've seen some of the biggest and most successful artists in the world perform, win Oscars, all sorts. So please put your hands together and welcome tonight's guests, Mr. David Arnold and Mr. Don Black. Thank you for being here. Well, I'm delighted. Yeah. I mean, I can't go wrong, can well, I was just saying <laughs> to everybody here tonight that, you know, one's been part of all of our lives for, for so long. You guys are slightly differently from us, but, but it's been such a big part. Don, where did your relationship with Bond start and how did it start? Well, funnily enough, it started before I started writing. It was even before. There. I have a tenuous link with James Bond. I used to manage Matt Monroe. <laughs> yes, I did. And uh, it, it was in those Timpan Alley days of Denmark Street, and I was very friendly with John Barry and Matt. We were like the three musketeers. <laughs> and Matt started getting successful, which took a long time. He was a bus driver, as you may know. And then John Barry started doing well in movies, and he asked Matt to sing From Russia With Love, and I negotiated it. Russia with love I fly to you Much wiser since my goodbye to you I've traveled the world to With love From Russia With love 
that's how I started, but I really started, of course, with John, uh, when he asked me in that lovely Yorkshire voice of his, do you fancy having a go at Thunderball? <laughs> is what he said. But to me, John Barry was a kind of a James Bond. <laughs> he even had the same initials. Um, he, he had a white Maserati, he had handmade suits, he had this beautiful bachelor pad overlooking the Thames. He was handsome, he was famous, he was rich. I don't know what girls saw in him. <laughs> but he was, he was a fantastic character. When I've written over a hundred songs with John Barry, over 50 years. But funnily enough, I remember the lunches more than the songs. Because <laughs> having lunch with John Barry was one of the most exciting and, and different things. He never used to eat anything. He, he was painfully thin. I always remember Michael Caine gave him an award once and he said, this is the first time I've uh, given a, an award which is heavier than the recipient. <laughs> and, and in, and in 50, year, 50, years, 50 years of lunches, compared to Mahatma Gandhi, he was a glutton. <laughs> he, he was an amazing man. I mean, I could talk to him for, forever. As far as Bond is concerned, when he asked me to do Thunderball, it was a major break for me, obviously. He always runs while others walk. He acts while other men just talk. Since then, all those years ago, I've been known as a Bond lyricist. I had no idea how much it meant. The Bond family is such an incredible franchise. But John, John was lovely, and uh, writing songs with him was a joy, not only Bond, but every kind of songs. He didn't like collaboration. He was once asked to write a song with Kathy Dennis, who's a very popular songwriter, and he, said, he phoned me up one day and said, you never believe it, Don. She only wants to sit at the piano and write with me. <laughs> I mean, he went. He talked forever for home. So when he played me a tune, it was more like an unveiling. That was it. There was nothing to discuss. And I know the kind of lyrics that he liked. He liked simple lyrics, as he said, hugs the contours of the melody. So he strikes like Don. said its title sequence should invite you into the film it should sort of somehow lay out the, the world of the James Bond film you're about to see I've always uh, felt that the, 
music was a co-star. Yeah. Yes, uh, I think that's the responsibility that everyone has mm. when, when they do these things. Because John, for me, was certainly 50, if not more, percent of the character. Mm -hmm. I mean, Sean did, obviously was just an extraordinary debut as the character, but in terms of defining who he was, the combination of him, first time you see him at the, at the, at the car table and the, and, the, and the theme comes into the first, I mean, that's it. I yeah. mean, it's, it's, it's done and dusted. in Luton, the Royal British Legion Club, and it was a children's Christmas party, and the jelly and the sandwiches had come on, and the balloon guy had come on, and they wheeled out, a, I mean this is going back a bit, they wheeled out a, a, a 16 mil projector on wheels, and a little portable screen with a single mono speaker at the bottom of it, and they pulled the curtains, and I was sitting next to the projector, and they fed the film through, and you could hear that lovely clattering sound that it makes, and it picks it up, and then Clicking on the screen, you had the, the MGM uh, lion and started to You Only Live Twice. They're, they're showing You Only Live Twice to a bunch of eight-year-olds. <laughs> and I don't know if you've seen the start of that film, what happens, you know, A, what, what James Bond is doing at the start, <laughs> and, then, and then what happens to him two minutes after he's doing that. And so you had all this amazing stuff, and then the big spaceship, in the little spaceship, and then going down into the hollowed out volcano, and John's amazing music.
put head to gun barrel first. It's a bad um bum, da da bum, da 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 Whoa, what's this? Big spaceship, little spaceship, machine gun. <laughs> and then the song, and then the song. That, that amazing sound that he made. Um, and that was it. I was like completely hooked. And then John's subsequent work on the series was the DNA of, of, of who that character was. So when they actually changed actors and performers, you never really felt like it was a different person because underneath all that is John's absolutely reliable James Bond music. And that completely locked you, it anchored you to the, to the character no matter what they did. should be, you know, sort of hold, holding on to an element of that and, and, and to have elements of that, you know, the DNA of, what, of, 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 of perhaps what he was doing in what I was doing, because it felt like my experience of James Bond is, is a lifetime's worth of experience. I mean, the first one came out the year I was born. I watched this thing, the, the, the song happened. Uh, he was in Japan and, you know, I mean, I was born and brought up in Luton. Uh, and, <laughs> and most things seem exotic when you come from there, but that was <laughs> really, that was, re that was really exotic. So it was like opened up a world, you think like, why do I like him so much? Why do I like this character so much? And there's something about the, 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 that he can do whatever he wants. He has everything that you kind of think that you'd want as a certain, you know, growing up, 
uh, and there's, there seems to be there seems to be no consequences. <laughs> you know, it's like he all, you know he'll always return. That that feeling you got at the end of a James Bond movie when it said James Bond will return. You think, oh, thank God for that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the more, amazing thing. Yeah. I think why do I still get excited about it? Because when one of these films starts, potentially you're about to watch the greatest James Bond film ever made. And for some people, every time you watch a new one, for some people, that will be the one. Mm-hmm. Whether it's Diamonds Are Forever or Goldfinger or, or, or Casino Rail or Spectre, you know, for some people, that's the benchmark. And it's such an amazing thing to be thinking about 56 years after that first one. It's still front page news. I don't know why I'm saying this, but why shouldn't I? <laughs> uh, John Barry was a huge fan of David Arnold. They're big shoes to fill. I always remember, I thought, well, who is David Arnold? I mean, you know, the, and they made some records and stuff, but Elmer Bernstein, the great Hollywood composer who did everything, he heard one of David's scores, I don't know which one, but I think it was probably Independence Day, but he, he said to me, that boy is the real thing. David Arnold's the real thing. He's deceptively brilliant. You know. <laughs> and I tell you, and I tell you another thing about him. You can name any film composer from Jerry Goldsmith, Henry Mancini, Elmer Bernstein, all the greats. There's one thing that he does better than all of them, and that is sing. Ever since I met him 20 years ago, whatever, I've been saying, for God's sake, leave movies alone for a minute and just do David Arnold sings. A long time ago, when I was just like, you know, writing songs, I was doing student films, they used to have songwriters' nights dotted around London, and sometimes I used to go and listen to what other people were doing. And you would, I heard like Tori Amos there before she'd signed. Uh, anyway, so I got up and did one song. But a friend of mine who was there, he came up to me afterwards and he says, um, he goes, there's so, he said, there's something that doesn't quite make, it doesn't make sense. You know, I goes, what is it? He goes, that voice coming out of that face. What's <laughs> <laughs> that? It's true, you would never believe it. As long, as long as I don't put myself on the cover of anything, we'll be, we'll be. No, but there's something about, for those who don't know, demos, doing demos of songs. It's so very important that you get them right. And you could write a terrible lyric. You know, I could write, I'm terribly fond of James Bond. And he would make it electric. It's a hell of a build-up for you to well, sing. Well, I know. It's, I mean, but, but, but it is. I mean, the idea of demoing something, you, you do only have one chance to sort of sell the thing. People are only going to listen to it once. And they're going to decide whether or not they like the song or they don't like the song. And that happened with Anthony Newley, didn't it? And Goldfinger. He did a demo of it, and it was just irresistible to hear Anthony Newley sing it. Goldfinger He's the man, the man with the Midas touch, a spider's touch, such a cold finger, beckons you to enter his web of sin, but don't go in. He will pour in your ear, 
But his lies can't disguise what you fear For a golden girl knows when he's kissed her It's the kiss of death from Mr. Goldfinger sing it. He goes, yeah. you've got Paul McCartney. You know, he said, no, but, but who, you know, who's going to be the girl? Who's going to be the girl to sing it? He goes, but you've got Paul McCartney. <laughs> right. it, this is the wonderful thing, the two sides of the music, though, that are so important to this world, the, those iconic songs that are so intrinsic and important. And for you coming in and kind of, you know, being passed the baton almost to, to continue that, you have this wonderful framework of melodies and these themes that John's created and you you've done this wonderful thing where you've stayed true to that but you've also injected your own voice and your you know your stamp is very clearly on there was that an easy thing to achieve I thought it would be until I tried to do it it's, it's one of those things that w w when you grow up with James Bond I mean as a composer you think anyone would would, would gnaw at the hem of God's frock to get close to one you know, I mean, it's, it, it, it's such an iconic thing. It's such an amazing series. Uh, and the spirit of it is a thing, the thing that gets into you as a writer. You know, it's something that, 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 that immediately you, you feel inspired by and you feel excited by. And alongside of it, you get this lifetime's worth of experience. You know, every time a Bond film was on, it would be a, a family time. It would be like Easter or Christmas. And it was a proper event, you know, before before DVDs, before VHSs, before, you know, you have to wait four or five years before a movie that had been on in the cinema would, would, would be on the TV. So when it did come on the TV, it was a proper event. And you gathered around it and everyone watched. And you watched it together and it's something that you experienced together. And that's the thing that sort of stayed with me the whole time, was that this sense of, of you know, there's a very sort of familial thing. And when you look at the, the way that um, um, Barbara Broccoli and Michael Wilson run the thing you know it feels very much like that you feel kind of cared for and and looked after long after you've finished as well you know yeah. I and mean, it's like through the year it's not like thanks very much and shut the door it's like constant you you've, you feel you know it's, it's, it's a very unique grouping of people to work with um and i'm trying to think what the question was don't no, worry that's a, that was a no, really the other, the other thing i was going to say but i don't have to if you want to move on to something no, else. Go, please no go, i just want to say no. that luck plays a part in all of these things and uh, Luck has played a, a big part in, in a couple of big songs of mine. The Diamonds Are Forever was one, where Harry Saltzman, who was co-producer, didn't like it. And I remember 
playing for him. John Barry played it for him uh, in his fabulous bachelor apartment that I've talked about <laughs> earlier. And um, he, at the end of it, Harry said, I don't like it, it's filthy. <laughs> you can't say touch it, stroke it and undress it. And, and then John Barry says, well, what do you know about songs? And, he's, and Harry went out and slammed the door. You know, it, it was very, it was nearly not in that picture. Um, it was just that Shirley Bassey loved it and Cubby Broccoli loved it. Diamonds are forever They are all I need to please me They can stimulate and tease me They won't leave in the night I've no fear that they might desert me Diamonds are forever Stroke it and undress it I can see every part Nothing hides in the heart To hurt me Could you hear that song? I think of what John Barry said to Shirley Bassey. <laughs> I think I know what you're going to yes, say. Yes, you know what I'm going to well, say. Well, you yeah. can tell if Gwen's... Well, no. He, <laughs> she, said, she said, how should I approach this? You know, he said, well, just think of a diamond as a penis. <laughs> and that, that was his words, and she sang it with such conviction. <laughs> <laughs> Diamonds are forever Sparkling around my little feet writing for in terms of the artist? No, I mean, to be honest, whenever I write these kind of songs, in my head, I'm always Anthony Newley. Don't ask me why, but I, it's just something, I, I just feel the expression of him, and uh, no, I don't. Principally, you read the script, mm -hmm. so usually the song has to happen before the film is finished being shot, so you don't get to see an awful lot. Sometimes you get to see bits and pieces, but you know what the story is. I mean, to a certain extent, we can make a prediction about the sort of things that will happen in a Bond film. They invariably do. There will be gadgets, there will be guns, there will be action. So it's really about like how do we, how do we describe this world? And then, for me, it was like the song always comes first. 
and then the artist. Uh, it's it, it's it's a bit like <coughs> casting, I think. Yeah. I always felt like we need to find someone who could almost be in the film, uh, or who, who belonged in the world that this Bond movie is. And when you start thinking about it like that, then you know the windows kind of get a little, you know, you, you get a little narrower and a little smaller, and you eventually you alight on the right people. I mean, it's quite stressful because there's there's, there's availability issues, you know. The, um, so many things depend on everything else, and yeah. you know, like sort of a lot of artists are like hugely busy, and they're all over the world and doing all sorts of things. So trying to tie it all and together. And popular, as you want, popular people. Yeah, someone. Well, I, I have said, I said jokingly once that Shirley Bassey should sing them all, <laughs> o o only because she bites lumps out of songs. <laughs> There's something the way she attacks a song that is so endearing and irresistible. Another thing happened, I mean, just while I'm on that, another song I did, which I wrote with John Barry, Born Free, um, which won an, Oscar. won an Oscar. The only reason I mention it is because it ties in with that. Uh, Carl Foreman, the producer, didn't like it. He didn't like the song Born Free. He thought it was, he thought the tune was too syrupy, and he thought the lyric was too much of a social comment. He wanted it more about jungles and cages, about a lion, you know. He tried to take it out of the picture. Next time I saw him was at the Academy Awards when Dean Martin gave me the Oscar. <laughs> and and at, at, the, at the party afterwards, he put his arm around me and said, Well, Don, it does grow on you. <laughs> Born free, as free as the wind as free as the grass grows born free to follow your heart live free and beauty surrounds you the world still astounds you it's time you look at a star Stay free Where no walls divide you You're free as a roaring tide So there's no need to hide 
life is worth living But only worth living Cause you're born free actually to kind of highlight what we've just been talking about the first is a is a scene that you picked actually from the world's not enough many different things there's so much in that one clip there's there's the theme tune the world yeah. is not enough comes in there yeah. there's there's those kind of you know the trumpets I, I learned from researching this that when John was doing his national service that he learned to play the trumpet yeah. maybe that's why trumpets are such a big part of that yeah. you know that, that bond kind yeah. of heart and soul you wouldn't want to have heard John play it <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, yes, there's, there's, there's not much time to breathe in those things. I mean, that, that, I, think that, I think the world is not enough title sequence is the longest ever. I think it's 17 minutes, I think. And part, but part of the thing with that is that it's a very long sequence. So it's like, how do you keep sort of excitement and energy going? You wait to play the Bond theme at a key moment. It felt like when we saw the, uh, I mean, the Millennium Dome at that time was getting a lot of bad press. Yeah. Uh, and we thought, like, we can make it feel heroic. Uh, so when he comes out and he hits the water, you see the Millennium Dome in the background, and it saves his life at the end, of course, you know, it's like it breaks his fall from the, mm. from the balloon. But, I mean, there's a lot to compete with as well, you know, because, I mean, I, I could have chosen a, a, a clip where you could have heard some of the music. It's, it's one of those ones where it's like there's a lot of competition but that's the thing, uh, from sound, so you have to try and find your way through that and let the key things play. I mean, one of the things that you do absolutely hear um, is Derek Watkins, his trumpet is, is, is extraordinary. And that top line all the way through, it's always Derek. We were writing it, we'd always find out, is Derek available? Derek was never not available for Bond. <laughs> uh, and you couldn't, and you know, we never felt like we could do it without him in a way. Uh, and so when we knew that he was on it, we knew we could write a couple of notes higher than anyone else. <laughs> um, uh, and, and it became so much a part of, of, of that sound.
and the first the first time I ever did uh, a Bond in 1997 um, uh, with Tomorrow Never Dies, there was a song that I wrote with uh, with Don uh, and with David McCammell called Surrender that Katie Lang sang. And there's a big, dirty kind of trumpet line at the start of that, and it's a sort of filthy thing. It's brilliant. And um, and anyway, we were doing we were sort of doing a, a, a sort of we were doing a demo of it really to, to to play to the producers. And Derek was playing first trumpet and. I wasn't fully aware of his uh, history with the franchise. I went over to him and I said, I said, Derek, I said, there's a sort of character thing we're looking for. There's this thing in Goldfinger, in the second verse in Goldfinger, I said, where he plays it. He goes, no, that was me. Yeah. I said, could you do it like that? And then he said, he'd, he'd done them all. You know, Derek had played on every single Bond movie. I think he was 16, I think, was it the first one? Yeah. Doctor, Doctor, no. I mean, it's quite, it, quite extraordinary. Everything, probably, that you've heard of any note, which goes, wow, wow. That's it. It was Derek. Uh, so I mean, it was, it, it was an amazing thing. trumpet solo on the recorded version of Scott Walker's uh, and um, it's a very it's a, it was originally it was like to be played at the end of the movie and I thought what if for once James Bond took responsibility for what he was doing in his you know <laughs> in his life what if at the end of all this adventure and everything that had happened he sat down and go like why am I on my own you know it's like we know that they have a, a limited life expectancy uh, and but, but why am I still on my own, and and and, and you know, Don has uh, Don has a brilliant way with making something very simple. When you read it on the page, thinking like, oh, that's quite nice. But then when you sing it, it it comes to life. You know, it's like the words, the sounds, the shape of the words. It's not it's not like you sit down and write a lyric and think these words are nice. Mm -hmm. It's like, is this the right vowel shape? Is this can this word extend over the melody so it feels like naturally like a thing that's going to happen so it's not like just it's not like just writing writing it's proper construction proper language it, i always laugh when don, you know don don sends lyrics through uh, and i always laugh because they're always unerringly brilliant and and I, I i i feel a bit embarrassed to write to them because you think like someone better than me should be working on <laughs> on these i mean they, i mean they are quite beautiful uh, uh, and then when you sing them, you think, oh, as well as being brilliant, it's like they're great to sing. Mm. 
I suppose in a way, in my tipping my hat to John, um, there was always something that I felt in, in common, not, not in any way comparing, but um, there was a sense of yearning that John had in his music. It felt like he was, it was reaching slightly beyond, beyond the range of your fingertips. It was like you were as far as you could go, and somehow you felt you might not ever reach it, but you weren't going to stop trying. It always felt like there was a sort of really sort of bleak optimism <laughs> if those two things can go together. Uh, and it was a very beautiful uh, thing. And I think, I think when you're thinking about the, 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 the love stories in James Bond films, you know, you'd, you'd be wise to be bleak because it's not very often that it works. And when it has worked, it's been, it's ended in disaster. And the ones that haven't ended in disaster, you never hear from them again in the next one. <laughs> so, you know, there is, there is this sort of sense of optimism, maybe this is the one. Uh, and in Casino Al, uh, you know, she was, she was the one. So I wanted to have that sense of glorious or sort of romantic yearning thing that John had, had started so brilliantly. And also, you know, the glorious establishing shots. You know, one thing I always loved about a Bond movie is that when you, when you get to a new place, you had you know, a helicopter shot or like a big wide, and you would see the place where you were and you would sort of somehow sort of swoop in and then all of a sudden you'd be with him in the play, so it's like you travelled, you travelled with him, and it's always such a great place for music, because you're not, there's not much sound, you know, 20,000 feet up in the air, uh, and, you know, by the time you get down to where all the action is, you've already said, well, you know, what you've got to say about it, and then you are, like the lyric hugs the contour of the melody, you are hugging the storytelling aspect of the, of the picture, um, and you're back in sort of film world, but for those seconds, you know, it's like you can elevate.
someone asked me the other day, like, what is your best memory of, 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 of Bond music? Uh, and I remember on Casino Royale, where the whole film had been bereft of the Bond theme for very good reasons. Uh, he hadn't become a Bond. He hadn't earned it. If we'd have played it any earlier in that film, then the drama of is he going to be the person that we think he's going to be would, would dissipate. Uh, and it was a tricky decision to make because you know people were slightly concerned that why aren't we hearing the Bond theme in a, in, in a Bond movie? But when it comes in at the end, you know, when, you, when, when he's standing over Mr. White and he says, you know, who are you? The name's Bond, James Bond. Just go, bang up when he oh, cuts to black. I mean, it, it's, it's an amazing thing. I saved that recording because it's the last thing that we did in the whole session. So we've done seven or eight days of recording, long days, a lot of music in Casino Royale, very trying, telling, um, difficult stuff, some of it, long sequences. Uh, and varying degrees of sort of action and sentiment and romanticism. Everything was sounding phenomenal as it always is. Um, and so we knew that the last thing on the last day we were going to do the Bond theme and the place was rammed, you know, the control room was rammed for the people. And we got to that moment and they played it and I think that was the first take, you know, the one that you hear. Everyone, like I said, sat on the edge of the seat and just played the hell out of it. And you can hear it in that recording, because we've done it again since, you know, I've done that exact arrangement with other orchestras around there. And it's close, but there's something about that moment, you know, that sort of build up to that moment. And when you hear it in the film, it has exactly the same effect, I think, you know, I think it, it, it does make you think, oh, thank God for that. From the score to Casino Royale, that's The Name's Bond, James Bond, by David Arnold, which seems a fitting place to end this latest episode of Soundtracking with David and lyricist Don Black. My huge thanks to both of them for joining me at the London Film Museum and apologies once again for the variable sound quality. Now you can find a Spotify playlist for this show via edithbowman.com, which is also the place to subscribe and catch up with all of our previous episodes. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We are at Soundtracking UK. And please do keep spreading the word on your socials. Next up is Armando Iannucci, talking about the death of Stalin, his love of classical music and plenty more besides. I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then. <laughs>